We're going to look at Psalm 110 again tonight. So we're in the middle of our psalm series, looking at Christ in the Psalms. And you know that I've mentioned there are 23, 24, 25 Psalms where specifically we can find a counterpart in the New Testament that says that this Psalm is in reference to Christ. I'm sure there are other allusions to Christ, more than 25 in the Psalms, certainly. Um, But we're looking at that which we can say, this is that. And we're going to do that tonight, the book of Hebrews, uh, particularly looking at last week in Psalm 110, we looked at Christ and we looked at his office as king or Lord. And um, it was kind of some military language, which is somewhat frightening for us. And then the, the psalmist is inspired by God to write also of a second office of Jesus Christ as our mediator. And we're going to consider the business of him being our, our priest, our high priest. Psalm 110. It's a brief psalm. Hear the holy word of our holy God, a psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array from the womb of the dawn. Your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever. According to the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He'll fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, what a great God you are. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you alone, O God, are the true and the living God, and all other gods are are false. They're no God. And you alone are God. And we are your people, Lord, even the sheep of your pasture. You have created us, you sustain us, you redeem us, and you feed us constantly. Day in, day out, Sabbath in, Sabbath out. And you teach us to live our lives and to order our lives, even as you have taught us in your word, to work six days and then to rest. And Lord God, the rest that you give us to do is especially to worship you, to nourish our souls. And we pray, Holy Spirit, with this word that you have inspired, that you have mercy on me, that I might rightly divide it and proclaim it and that we would all have the requisite faith and we would grow deeper in love with you father son and holy spirit and we would rely more upon your promises and we would be enabled to week in and week out sabbath in and sabbath out to walk by faith and not by sight we pray it in christ's name amen Well, as I mentioned, we're looking at the second office that the Holy Spirit inspires the psalmist David to write about here, um, the office of priest. He is king. Sometimes when we talk about Christ as mediator, you remember we said this this morning, there's one mediator between God and man, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and that's the God-man, Christ Jesus. And if you're raised in a Protestant church, you know this. I was not raised in a Protestant church. So I was taught by my 
parents and my grandparents and by my priest, that there are other mediators besides the Lord Jesus Christ, other priests beside the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I used other human mediators that I would pray to. And I would pray to the St. Patrick, I say pray to St. Patrick. My confirmation name as a Roman Catholic was Patrick. So he was my patron saint. I prayed to him constantly. I prayed to the Virgin Mary almost daily. And so when we come here and our desire is to look at the mediator, singular, it's Christ. And I'm not picking, I'm not picking on folks that are taught these other things. A creature cannot hear our prayers and cannot answer our prayers. That's the sad thing. I don't say these things to pick on anyone, but if someone is praying to a mere creature, they don't have omnipotence. They don't have omniscience. They don't have omnipresence. Our Christ is our mediator. There's one mediator. As well-meaning as those folks are, um, they're deceived. So, so the Bible will teach us that our mediator, Christ, has threefold office that we sometimes subdivide. And you really can't subdivide them, but we do just for, to understand that our mediator, Christ, is a prophet. He is a priest. And we say he's a king. Some of the, I think Ezekiel was a priest and he was a, a scribe. And there are other, uh, David comes very close to uh, offering sacrifices like a priest. And he is certainly a prophet. He's certainly a king. But Christ is the antitypical prophet, priest, and king. And the Old Testament clearly predicts, not just here, and again, this is going to be somewhat of a topical sermon on the priesthood of Christ, that clearly predicts that our Savior will be our priest. Zechariah 6, 13. Yes, it is he who will build the temple of the Lord. That's God. We are the temple of the Lord. He will build the temple of the Lord. He who will bear the honor and sit and rule on his throne. And again, this is the priest who has kingly duties. It's very unique. Thus, he will be priest on his throne. And the council of peace will be between his two offices. Again, mentioning the, 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 the kingship and the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all of those things. He rules over his and our enemies by, by his word. And then he is the one that makes sacrifice for us and makes intercession. And he's our prophet as, as well. So the Old Testament clearly says to look forward to the Messiah that holds the office of priest. And then the New Testament, I mentioned the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews is an ex- exceedingly interesting book. I was for a number of years as a Christian, a dispensationalist Christian. Christian. I was a devotee of a, a very famous Christian man now, who I think the world of, this man. Um, He is a dispensationalist. He's a Baptist. I cannot hold this man's shoes, I think, the world of him. He is so faithful in his ministry. But I I was a devotee of him. And so dispensationalism holds kind of two people's two plans. Classic dispensationalism. The new dispensationalism has cleaned up their act a little bit. But they held two people, two plans. Um, the Old Testament people, Israel, was one people, and God had one plan for them. And then with the New Testament church, the New Testament church is what, another people, and God is another. This is not true, but this is what they hold. Um, and, and, and so um, for me, what switched me from the two peoples to plan was the book of Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews did it. 
in the dispensational system, they teach that Christ will come back. He's going to sit in a stone throne in Palestine, renovated Palestine. And they're going to institute the, the ironical priesthood, which tonight I'm going to argue was only ever to be temporal. But he'll institute it, and he's going to institute animal sacrifices again. I believe that, because I was taught that by a man that I respected. That's not true. We are the temple of God. There's not going to be a third temple. Um, we are the temple of God. There will be no reconstitution of animal sacrifices. None, 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 none. What the blood of bulls and goats could never do, the blood of the Lamb of God has done. The book of Hebrews, the reason I'm mentioning this, it explains the book of Leviticus, which is the priesthood. The, the, the ironical Levitical priesthood was always meant to be temporal. It was always meant to be typical, pointing towards the antitype Jesus Christ, who is the true priest. And not only is Jesus the true priest, he's the true oblation. So he's not only the sacrificer, he's the sacrifice. But that, that will be in the body of my sermon. So the book of Hebrews, all that to say this, the book of Hebrews is the only book in the New Testament that specifically calls Jesus Christ our priest and uses that language, priest. But, but there are other places in the New Testament that will describe the office or the functions of Christ as priest. And both are true. Our secondary standards, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a, a wonderful secondary standard, um, it, it will say in chapter 1, dealing with Scripture, that the way that we understand God's truth is by something which is stated expressly and also by those things which are necessary, logically deduced from Scripture. And so when we talk about the doctrine of Trinity, for example... There's no place that says Trinity. But when we look, it's logically or necessarily deduced from Scripture. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all given attributes. They're given divine names, divine attributes, divine works, and divine worships. Therefore, Shema, o Israel, the Lord thy God is one, consists of three persons. And so when we have one book, Hebrews says Jesus is priest, the other books in the New Testament will say, here are the attributes, here are the works or the functions of Christ as priest. So both are true. Now, I will say this. My, my favorite devotional writer, J.C. Ryle, says, it's good to find a clear passage and to hang your hat on those clear passages. I just, this past week in pastoral visits, talking with, with some folks, and they said, well, do you ever have any doubts about Christ, doubts about you being in Christ? I said, sometimes I've had doubts about me being in Christ, but the moment I became born again, I never doubted Jesus was the Christ. I sometimes doubted whether I, I had true faith or historical faith that I was a phony Christian, but I've never doubted Jesus is the Christ. And there's a passage in John's Gospel, the end, it says, these things are written that you may know Jesus is the Christ, and by believing, you have what in his name? Life in his name. That's clear. So how I talked myself out of my own unbelief as a believer was I camped out on a clear passage. And I just said, God, that's clear. I understand it. You said this is written so I would believe. I believe. You've promised up. I believe. I have eternal life. I believe, therefore, I have eternal life. And you camp on that. And so when we come to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews will say, Jesus is the Christ. And so it, it's... Yes, we can deduce from other passages, but it is helpful when you have, you have a passage, particularly the one dealing with our salvation or something dealing with Jesus. When you meet Jehovah's Witnesses, they say Jesus is in God. You take them to when Doubting Thomas says, my Lord and my what? God. 
clear. Ha theos, God. So those clear passages are helpful. And here's a clear passage from Hebrews that tells us that that Melchizedek, the Aaronical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, is pointing forward to the anti-type, Jesus. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 3.1 Therefore, holy brothers, partakers of a holy heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Apostle means a sent one. Jesus has been sent from the Father. John chapter 8, I came not to do my will, but the will of the Father. And so he's the sent one. Christ is the evangel. He's the good news. He's the apostle. He's the sent one. He's the prophet, the priest, the king, the Messiah. And he is the high priest of our confession. The Bible says it clearly. But as I say, the Bible will put other places where we have to logically deduce from looking at the functions of Christ as priest and then working backwards, logically saying, thus Christ is a priest. I'll give you an example. First uh, Peter does this in a number of places. First Peter 3, Christ died for sins once for all. He's the sacrifice, but he's also the sacrificer. The just for the unjust. The Apostle Paul brings up that language in Romans chapter 4. So that he might bring us to God. That's a priest. That's a priest. Having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And so what we see in the Bible, and I'm going to eventually read a couple of places in the, in the book of Hebrews that will quote Psalm 110, saying Jesus is priest after the order of Melchizedek. But the New Testament confirms for us that the Jesus that has been promised, let's say Psalm 110, the, the, the Hebrews uses this, this is the son, today I begotten thee. Um, you're the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Psalm 2, Psalm 110. The book of Hebrews comes along and says, that's Christ. And we are being taught, it's the August, St. Augustine, that the Old Testament contains the new in seed form, and the, 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 the New Testament, it contains the old in full bloom, something like that. But my point with that is this. When we look at the promise made in, in the Psalms, David's, when did David live? Circa... Was he circa 1,000, 1,100, something like that? So, so 1,100 years later, 1,000 years later, God makes good on the promise. And I mentioned this this morning. We, we are not patient people. We are, I'm not a patient person. We are not patient. And if, if, if we do not have an answer to our prayer from our God in like a half a second, we think that the answer is no or he's never going to answer us. And just as an aside, I think that God answers a lot more of our prayers than we recognize. And he answers them, and we don't recognize them because we're, beginning, we're, we're, we're too busy with an additional um, petition. We keep petitioning, and then he answers one, and we forget to stop petitioning and to, to give thanksgiving. George Muller, he was a Moravian. He kept, um, I think he did, he did uh, orphanages. He kept a log, a journal, where he would write his prayers down, and then he would look in his life through the, with eyes of faith. When God answered that, he'd write it down. It's kind of a good practice. Then we would get into the habit of saying, I'm praying for something I, I, today. I said, well, we had a guest pianist this morning, and I thought, well, we'll just." I told my wife, we're not going to be having any singing because we can't really sing. It's like strangling a house cat, and I guess I get to preach for two hours, and God provided 
That's an answer to prayer. I prayed for it. I didn't know how he was going to work it out. And God provided. And so the Old Testament says Christ will come. He'll be your prophet. He'll be your priest. And the New Testament says here he is. What should we do as people that believe in Jesus, as believe in the Bible? We're Bible believers. It's easy to say everybody, every cult in the world says they believe the Bible, but let's push them aside. We believe the Bible. (laughs) We believe the Bible. It's easy to say I believe the Bible. What does the Bible principally teach? What God requires us to believe about God and what duty God requires us of man. That's what it teaches, those two things. And so as Bible believers, when God says, I'm making a promise, and then we look in the New Testament and says, well, he, he, he brought it to pass. What should we do as Bible believers? We should live in the Bible more than we do. And I'm talking to myself. It's one of the things about gospel ministry as a minister, as a preacher, one of the particular snares or temptations or sins is you can exchange your work time and you can rob your devotion time. And so you can come to the Bible like a professional. I'm here to, I'm going to subdivide and do all of these things. But you're not coming to it as a worshiper. You're coming to it as a, a, a tactician, as a worker. And so it's an intellectual exercise. And you forget to feed your soul. And then you become a professional Christian, which is not a good thing to be. And so when it's easy to just treat the Bible as, I don't know, as not bringing us into the presence of God, not hearing from the voice of God. We, we need to be in the Bible more. We need to believe the Bible more. And then when God makes a promise to us, like I referenced from the book of John, we, we need to camp on that. We need to camp out on that. When, when he says the Christ, the, the Christ will be your king, he will conquer all of his and all of your enemies, will then we need not to flip out every four years when they get another person and they re- and, and then when with Russia and in, in, in China. I hear all these things. I've never been in the military. I hear them talking about a shooting war with China. I'm thinking, are you serious? Are you serious? A shooting war with China? And we're going to fight Russia too? I mean, really? And then what happens? No wonder I can't sleep at night. What should I do? Wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. God says Christ is king. The President Biden's not king. Putin's not king. Xi Jinping is not king. Christ is king. He says it. And so we have to say, be still my soul. He's my king. You promised. And then he says, your Christ is not only king, he'll be your priest. He will be your priest. Well, I'm not a very good Christian. I, I know I'm not a very good Christian. Have you ever had doubts that you're uh, not a Christian? Yeah, I've had doubts. But our standing is not based on our goodness. We'd all be lost. Our standing is based on, the, I promise to bring in my Christ, the sacrificer and the sacrifice. Our standing is built not on our even the strength of our faith. It's the strength of our Christ, the strength of our priest, the strength of his oblation or sacrifice and I would argue we're always looking for secrets and trick, tricks how to live the overcoming life. You know how to live the overcoming life? I'm going to give you the trick. I'm giving it to myself too. To believe the promises of God. And then when your soul or your mind or your neighbor or your friend tells you, really? You need to stiff arm them, <laughs> figuratively speaking. You need to tell the devil. You need to tell your own thoughts 
No, he promised. And I'm going to live on that promise. That's what living by faith is all about. The book of Hebrews says clearly, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7, I'll read a shorter portion. I'll send this out on the notes, the larger quote. Hebrews chapter 5, Every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God to offer gifts and sacrifices. He can deal, the high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the misguided since he himself is also beset with weakness, the earthly high priest. And because of it, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for the people, also for himself. No one takes the honor to himself. Now listen to this. This is the qualifications of the priest, which Christ has. But he receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become high priest. But he who said to him, he who said to him, this is Yahweh says to Adonai, God the Father says God, to the, God the Son. We don't worship three gods. I remember my Hindu brother-in-law when he said to me, so you worship three gods? I said, no, we're monotheists. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. He said, he was a math major or like a computer major at Carnegie Mellon. He said, one, 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 three. I said, one, 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 one. But without faith, you think we're polytheists. We're not polytheists. We're monotheists who are Trinitarian. Yahweh said to Adonai, my God said to my God, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Just as he says, just as God says in another passage, you are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And it says it again in Hebrews chapter 7, 11. You are priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are priest forever. Psalm 10 is about Christ. Psalm 2 is about Christ. Psalm 45 is about Christ. Psalm 22 is about Christ. Psalm 69 is about Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalm 16 is about Christ. God will not allow his Holy One to suffer decay. It's about Christ. That right hand pleasures forevermore. It's about Christ. <clears throat> Let me give us a definition of a priest. It's a basic definition, an English definition. Uh, a priest is an ordained minister or servant of God. This is important. Let's just talk priest of God. Forget about a, a, a false religion priest. But a priest is an ordained minister or servant of God who has been consecrated, set apart. That's the, that's the ornate, anointed, excuse me, set apart and commissioned or equipped by God to perform certain rites and administer certain sacraments. So it's an authorized minister of God. And he's been called by God to perform holy or sacred rites in God's holy religion. So a priest is a mediatory agent between God and, and man, between God and people. And so the distinction, I've often said this, would say the prophet and the priest is this. The, 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 the prophet is, is God, God's representative uh, from God to man. He's God's spokesman from God to man. And the priest is, is man's representative from man to God. And both are ordained by God. And as well, Christ is king. But there's a place in our larger catechism. Oh, I used to know the numbers. Oh, it's in 30s or 40s, I think. Why was it requisite that, that our mediator be, between, be both God and man? And it's requisite that Christ be fully God so that he could represent God to man. And it's requisite or necessary that he be man, that he could represent man back to God. Does that make sense? And so the priest 
if, if you could say the prophet is to give the word of God for the salvation that God gives to God's people. And then the priest represents a man back to God primarily to, to make sacrifices and to offer intercessory prayer. I can't be this precise, but I want to say prophet is the word and then the priest is the sacraments or the sacrifices. But I can't be that precise because I know the scripture does also call the Old Testament priest to handle the law. But it's just for ease of kind of usage that that's what we see. So prophet is the spokesman, the word from God to man, and the priest is the mediating agent. And before Adam and Eve fell, they didn't need a priest. They didn't need a mediating agent. The Bible says that Adam and Eve, before they fell, they walked with God where? In the cool of the day. And everything was wonderful. God loved them and they loved God. There was no sin. And the lie that the devil offers offered our first mother, and then Eve was the first evangelist for the devil to her husband, and he was an obedient husband and obeyed his wife when he should have told her no, but he didn't tell her no. Why, I don't, why, I don't know. But he didn't. Um, the lie of the devil is, well, God is withholding from you this wonderful tree, therefore God really isn't good for you. He's trying to keep something good from you. And what he's trying to keep from you is your own lordship. You can be like a little God. And look at the tree. Isn't it wonderful? And God really isn't good. And he's really not good. But if you listen to me, um, it, it, things will be wonderful. And what did you do? She listened. And then what happened? The cool of the day, the garden walk went away. And they no longer ran to the friendly presence of God because God was offended, because there's sin. There was a chasm. Now, I, I just want to say by pa- pastoral application, the devil is a liar. Not just in that, that first sin of eating the forbidden fruit. The, the devil's methodology generally doesn't change. He, prom- he, he, he tries to get you to disbelieve and disobey God's word, to think hard thoughts of God. God is not good for you. God is not a good God. If God was good, your kid wouldn't be sick. If God was good, you wouldn't be sick. He wants you to get to think hard thoughts of God. And then he wants you to think kind thoughts to him. But I'm here to help you. And if you listen to me, life will be wonderful. And what do we learn by sad experience? When we listen to him, is it wonderful? It's never wonderful. Oh, there might be a yahoo for a time. But there's a, there, there can be a lifetime of weeping. And then when we say back to him, but you said it was, going to be, it was going to be good, it was going to be pleasant. And his rejoinder to us is, yeah, I lied to you. That's what I do. I'm the liar. So the, the devil's whole purpose is to get us to not believe the word of God. And particularly the word of God is regarding to the Christ of God. And that God is, that God is, is good for us in Christ. So we have this... Before Adam and Eve fell, they didn't need a mediator. After Adam and Eve fell, they needed a mediator. They needed that Job says, oh, I wish there was an umpire. I wish there was a mediator. There is. We need a priest. So sin makes it requisite. I think the Hebrew word for, I grew up in a town which was mostly Irish or Italian, and then we had a large Jewish population in my town in Massachusetts, and maybe 20%. And so the last name Cohen 
is a very familiar last name. It means priest. I never knew that. Cohen means priest in, um, in, in Hebrew. Just as a funny aside, the JCC is the Jewish Community Centers. And when they first built a JCC in our town, my father joined it because he thought it would be good for business. <laughs> so he was the only Gentile. They called us, we were members of the Jewish, and we look as Irish as Patty's Pig. We were, they called us the token goy. Or, or goy is singular and goyim is plural. We were the token goy. It's, goy is not a good word. It's Gentile. We are the token Gentiles. But Cohen means priest. Sin is the necessity. Now, I just used the reference from um, Hebrews 5 and Hebrews 7, carrying over to, to, to Psalm 110, saying Christ is our priest. One of the reasons the Holy Spirit uses those verses in the book of Hebrews is because of the subject or the problem behind the book of Hebrews. The, the problem behind the book of Hebrews is this. You have Jewish people who come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And what happened? What did the Sanhedrin say? The moment you said Jesus is the Christ, what did they say was going to happen to you if you were a Jew? You're out of the synagogue. It's not like church excommunication now. Church excommunication now almost has zero bite, the zero teeth to it. Because you get kicked out of Bob's Presbyterian, and what you do is you get excommunicated from Bob's Presbyterian, you walk across the street 500 yards, and you join Sally's Presbyterian Church, right? Or Bob's Baptist, or Fred's Episcopalian. There's no bite to it. Um, if you get kicked out of the synagogue, your kids weren't getting married to a Jew, you weren't getting a job, you're out, out. And so there was a mass... I, most of us have not experienced that. Come to Christ and your family renounces you. The whole community renounces you. That's Hebrews. And so the temptation for the Hebrews is the Hebrew Christians are tempted to go back. Well, can, can we go back? Can we go back? So then we can have our family and those kind of things. And one of the, one of the criticisms that these Hebrew Christians would have got from their Hebrew unbelieving family and friends and even the larger Gentile community is now, oh, so now you're a Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus is the Christ. Where's your priest? Where's your priest? Well, um, well, we have a preacher. We have a pastor. No, no, no. Where's your priest? Old Testament Judaism would, would, would not be recognizable with a, without a priest. You need a priest. Read the book of Le- Leviticus. This is why I don't believe, like, I don't want to get down on the, the dispensation. Where's the priest? Even the Gentiles, even the Roman heathens would have said to the Christians, you don't have a priest. Where's your priest? Even the pagans had priests. That inclination is actually correct. That inclination is actually correct. You need a priest. What do you need a priest for? Everyone knows what you need a priest for. To make sacrifices. Why do I need to make sacrifices? Everyone knows you need to make sacrifices. Even the heathen know. Remember, Jonah is in a storm. He's running from the Lord. And what are the, what's the heathen pagan captain doing? He says to all his crew members, you better pray to your God. Pray to your God. And, and then he goes down and says, Jonah. And Jonah says, my God is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he says, you better pray. And he said, I don't need to pray because I'm running from him. Throw me overboard. But even our, this is a Romans 2, Romans 1. Even a fallen man knows that, that God is 
and I know they're the atheists, but I don't really believe in atheists anyways. Romans 1, Romans 2. All men know that they're a God, and they know that they're not God, and they know that, they, that they, there is some kind of a God, and that this God must be appeased. He must be appeased. Even in my wife's former religion of, of Hinduism, you have puja and all these other things. You're offering the half elephant, half. You, you, you're, you're making appeasement. And you need a priest. I forget the, what they call the priest. You need a priest. Everyone knows that. And so the Christian, we, we're not pushed back on our heels to say, well, I guess we don't have a priest in Christianity. What's our, what's our answer? We have the best of priests. Our priest is the eternal son of God come in the flesh. Our priest is not just at, with the ironical priesthood, and I, I don't want to go too long. So prior to prior to the fall, there was no need for priests. Subsequent to the fall, who's the first one that makes mediatory sacrifices for sinners? Who's the first one? God. God makes that mediatorial sacrifices. God's the one that covers them with his clothes of animals and shed blood. God does it. And then from, from, from that time, Adam and Eve, up into the time, the first antitypical priest-priest that has the office of priest is Aaron and his brothers. Read the book of Leviticus, chapter 1 through 7 and 8 on. on you have the sacrifice errs, and then you have the sacrifice as. This is in the book of Leviticus. But you go from Adam to uh, the great-grandfather of, of Levi is, is, is uh, Abraham, so you, you go from, what's Aaron? Aaron is, is uh, around about uh, uh, Moses, 1450. So you go from Adam to 1450. There's no ironical priest. And the, and, but you did have priests. You had Cain and Abel were making sacrifices for their household. Job, when his kids would have a party, what did Job do? He acted as a priest. So the heads of households were priests. What did Noah do when he got off the ark? He acted as a priest. So from, from the fall up to the time of the ironical Levitical priesthood, it was the heads of household. There were priests. And that went away because it was typical. It was temporary. And then around about 1450, you have the Aaron, the high priest, and then the, and then the Levites, the larger family. From, from 1450, when did the Levitical priesthood go away? It is no more. It's no more. Around about AD 70, when Titus comes in and sacks Rome, 500 years. That's how long the ironical Levitical priesthood lasted. 500 years. That's typical. I mean, that's temporal and typical. It, it was never meant to be, to be perpetual. It was, never, it, was, it was never perfect. The book of Hebrews says you had to repeatedly have all of these priests. Why? Because they die. And why did the earthly priests have to keep making these sacrifices? Because they're sinners. What about our priest? What about our priest? Our priest doesn't have to make a sacrifice for himself because he's the spotless lamb of God. He's without spot, without blemish. He never sinned. There's the philosophical discussion in theological circles. They call it the peccability of Christ. Is Christ can Christ be peccable? Could Christ have sinned? I don't even like... I'm not a speculative Christian. I know there are speculative Christians and you're probably smarter than me. I'm not a speculative Christian. When I hear sin, the, even the possibility of personal sin for Christ, it's like I start to have the imprecatory things. I want to break furniture. Um, no, Christ could never sin. He never did sin. And don't talk to me about temptation. How is it temptation? I don't want to talk to you about that. So, so he's spotless. 
And he's the lamb. And he is the high priest. He doesn't come and go. The book of Hebrews. What those things never did, the blood of the lamb does. And he's the one. He's that mediator so that we can come into the presence of God because we come through our high priest, Jesus Christ. We have a mediator. Most of you all know that I don't like in churches to use the term. I'm a decidedly low churchman, but that's another sermon. I don't like titles the Bible doesn't give to ministers. And one of the titles, and this is just me, and if if someone uses this title and it's your cousin, I'm not picking on him. I don't like the title of priest for for a minister. I I just personally don't like it. J.C. Rowell, my favorite, he he was in an Episcopalian setting in which they used it. Um, I love him. I would differ with him. on. I just don't like it. It's not a title that we see given to a minister. And we have a priest. And it's not after Aaron. It's not after Levi. It's after this fellow Melchizedek, who is is a type. The Bible will say in the book of Hebrews, I forget, chapter 3 or chapter 5, without father or mother. Of course he had father or mother. But the notion is, that, that, that the Christ who will be antitypical of him will have an extraordinary birth. He will be eternal God come in the flesh. And the interesting thing about Melchizedek, Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Jesus is the true Melchizedek. He's the true king of righteousness. And what, what, what uh, city was uh, Melchizedek a king over? Salem, the land of my birth, Salem, Salem. And what does Salem mean in Hebrew? Peace. He's the king of righteousness and the prince of peace. And God says, here he is. Our Christ, our king, our prophet, our priest is the king of righteousness. He's the true prince of peace. And he makes sacrifice. And the other thing Christ does, which is wonderful, 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 as our high priest, is he's at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession. He prays for us. Christ is alive. Christ is alive. I, I had a really wonderful week last week, and I was doing a membership class and some other things, and they brought a person in that didn't know any Christianity, which is so exciting to me. I love talking to people that don't know the book of John from the book of Genesis. I love it. I, you ever hear about John the Baptist, Jesus? The, no, never have. I just am like a pig in slops. I just love it. Let me show you. Jesus, here, let's look, let's look at this. And I said to the fellow, you know, the Jesus that we believe in, he's alive. This is not a theory. We're not believe- this isn't just like we believe propositions or theories. We believe in the living Jesus Christ. He's alive. And we're joined to him spiritually. It's mystical. We are spiritually united to Jesus Christ and thus the Godhead. And we have spiritual, I like what the Dutch say, they'll call it friendship for communion. Friendship. Real. He's alive. And our Christ is at the right hand of glory. And he's praying for us right now as believers. And we say to our friends, pray for us. And we say to other people, we'll pray for you. And sometimes we do. But sometimes we don't. And sometimes our prayers are so, and even our own prayers we get to a place where if you're, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray. Our Christ knows what to pray. The Holy Spirit's inside of us. He's an intercessor. He knows what to pray. Beloved, you, you will never be lost in Christ. 
He purchased you. He's your high priest. And he prays for you. You will never be taken away from him. All of the blessings of the Bible. The intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ ensures that the devil will never have ultimate victory over you because he prays. All of the promises of the Bible will, 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 will come true for you because he prays for you. What a wonder. What Our lives, even when, we're, even when physically and outwardly we're having a hard time, I want us to stop and think about this Christ. As lovers of Christ and recipients of Christ, our lives have fallen to us in such beautiful places. He is so good. Is he not, beloved? May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.